0: Well, once again, welcome to Harvest, man, we're so glad you're worshiping with us. For those online, we're glad you're here, and um, I was down here singing earlier and uh, was just thinking um, back, you know, just, what, a month ago, maybe a little more, um, we, I was doing that, but I was doing it on my couch in front of my TV, and I can just tell you 100%, 1,000%, this is so much better <laughs> than that ever was. Um So it's just so, so good to be with all of you and to be together. There's something about being not just in the presence of God, but in also the presence of God's people that makes all the difference in the world. And so, so glad that you're here with us to do that. And we hope that those of you online can join us in person soon as you're able. Let's continue to worship the Lord today through the study of his word. Grab your Bibles. And if you need sermon notes, there should be some printed underneath your chairs. You can also get them online through the YouVersion Bible app. For those of you at home, you can print them off yourself or use the Bible app as well. We'd love for you to follow along either way. And um, so we're kind of moving now into the last section of Acts. We've been spending this whole year in our church going verse by verse through the book of Acts and learning what it means to really be on mission for God. We've said uh, big God, bold mission. That's been our theme. And we want to be that. We want to be on bold mission with God because he is big, because he's awesome, and because we are part of his family and part of his kingdom. But as we get to the last couple chapters of Acts, if you've ever read Acts, you know it gets a little repetitive. Each of the final chapters is kind of Paul going to the new place and telling the, telling the new government official or the new person his story and his testimony and about the gospel. And all that's great and we love that, but it's a little hard to preach that same message week after week. Uh, you guys would not like it either, trust me. So what we're going to do is we're going to use these last couple chapters of Acts to actually use them as kind of a thematic overview of everything we've already learned. So I'm going to use these last couple chapters to draw out specific themes from the book of Acts that Paul's been teaching us or Luke's been teaching us as he's wrote, written Acts for the entire book. And these are kind of our takeaways. These are the things that as we end our study of the book of Acts, what do we need to walk away with changed as the people of God to be walking in bold mission with Jesus Christ? Okay, so that's kind of our goal. I've just entitled this last section, the Acts life. How do we live in light of what Paul his uh, saying here, and what Luke has taught us in the book of Acts. So with that in mind, grab your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 is where we're picking up today, and we're going to look at our first kind of synopsis lesson here is don't shrink from the gospel. Don't shrink from the gospel. So without question, not up for debate in any way, one of the greatest sports movies of all time is Rudy. Who's seen Rudy. Who knows Rudy, all right? If you haven't seen this, let me catch you up a little bit. So this movie is about a guy named Daniel Eugene Rudiger. His nickname was Rudy, and he had a lifelong dream to play football for the famed Fighting Irish, Right. And he, ever since he was a little boy, he wanted to play for Notre Dame, but he had several obstacles, obstacle after obstacle that he had to overcome in order to get there. Um, we find out that his academic studies were really low coming out of high school because he had dyslexia. And so he had to go through a couple extra routes to even get accepted academically into the school. So that was one obstacle. Another one, and this is the one he's probably most known for, was his physical stature. <laughs> he was only about five foot six, 165 pounds, which is not big at all, especially in the college football world. And so he did not have the physical size to be a college football player. So that was another obstacle. And on top of that, he had n- countless people telling him over and over again, you can't do it. You're not big enough. You're not good enough. It's not going to work. All the naysayers, all the negativity that he had to overcome to do this. But he finally does. He makes it into Notre Dame. He gets accepted into the school. And then he goes out for the walk-on tryouts for the football team, where you can just kind of walk on and try to get on the team. And he, by some miracle, he makes it as a walk-on, and he makes his way onto the practice squad for Notre Dame football team. Now, the practice squad never got to play a game, never got to be in the lights. They were just guys that the varsity team beat up on during practice. So for multiple years, Rudy stays and he works and he he is part of the practice squad for Notre Dame for his entire college career. The last play of the last game of his last year at Notre Dame, Coach Devine finally puts him in for one play. And in his one play, he gets a sack on the opposing team's quarterback. So his entire college career came down to one stat. That's the only thing he had in his entire stats for football was one sack. And yet, at the end of that game, at the end of his football career, his entire team picked him up, put him on their shoulders, and carried him out of the stadium. In honor, not of what he did, but of who he was. He was. You see, Rudy had a goal. He had a mission to play football, and he gave everything he had to do that. No matter matter the obstacles, no matter the persecution, no matter the problems that came against him, he just kept going. When something came against him, he just went harder and further. That is what Paul is calling us to do in the Christian life. That when obstacles come, when trials come, when persecution comes, and it will that we don't shrink back. We just push in harder to the Lord and keep going. So here's the big idea that we're going to pull out of this final chapter of Acts here from Paul today. In the face of persecution, don't shrink from the gospel, but step further into the gospel. We don't pull back. We don't relax. We step in harder to Jesus and let him lead us through the hard stuff. So, I want to look at all of chapter 20 today, which is a big chunk of scripture, but here's what we're going to do. The, the first part of chapter 20 is really just kind of a travel log for Paul. It's just kind of telling us his route. So I'm just going to kind of read through that, and we're going to get to the meat of the chapter where he's giving his final speech to the Ephesian elders. Okay? Following with me? Who's ready to jump in the scripture? All right, grab your Bibles. Chapter 20, verse 1. Here we go. After the uproar ceased... Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. So we, again, just remember, we just finished chapter 19 a couple weeks ago. He was in Ephesus. He just got basically run out of town because they were trying to you know, put him in jail again for preaching the gospel. And so he decided it's best for him to go ahead and move on and let the church at Ephesus can do their thing. So he's leaving here, and he's going through Macedonia. Verse 2, when he had gone through all the regions and had given them in much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, Syria is basically Jerusalem, Israel area, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Peter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. So this is kind of, he went through all the different churches he had planted, and was encouraging them, and now they're meeting up at Troas, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep. As Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And he took, they took the young youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So this is, there's this little section here in Troas with Eutychus. And I thought about preaching on this. Um, but a couple things. Number one, can you imagine if the only reason your name got put in the Bible is because you fell asleep in church? Like that would, that's just like, that's just a bad day for Eutychus, right? Like that's just, that's not very cool. But on top of that, Eutychus then falls asleep, falls out of the window three stories and dies. That's a pretty bad day. And so I'm like, is this teaching us against long sermons? Or is this teaching us against falling asleep in church? I'm not sure which one it is. And so we're just going to leave that one alone. And we're just going to keep moving on. Um, no, in reality, this is just Paul doing another one of his miracles, showing that the Holy Spirit is in him and working through him, and he, go, he continues on on his travel. So look at verse 13. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene, and sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided, here's the key part, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now for Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So that's the travel log part. So just kind of give you some context. Number one, when Paul left Ephesus in chapter 19, all that we just read in chapter 20, that would have taken him probably about a year All right, so it seems really short right here to us. Like he went here and here and here and here, but it was probably a year's journey for him to circle back through all the churches that he had planted, encouraging them and speaking to them, because he knows this is probably the last time he's going to see them. The Holy Spirit has already told him that. And so he's encouraging them. He's giving them kind of his final words. Like here's the final thing I have to say to you before I leave you to follow Jesus without me. And he makes it all the way back to Miletus. And he doesn't want to go to Ephesus, but he does want to talk to the Ephesian elders. And so he calls them over to give them his farewell speech. This is the only speech in all of Acts where Paul is actually talking to believers. All the other ones are to non-believers in some form or fashion. But here, he's giving his final words to the church, his final encouragement of, here's how you follow Jesus even when I'm not around. And he's going to encourage them specifically to stand and not to shrink back in the face of persecution. in three specific ways, three specific levels of persecution Paul is going to address here in this speech to the Ephesian elders. Okay? So here we go. Let's look at his speech. It starts in verse 18. It says, And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink, there's our word, from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing Paul tells us here is number one, point number one today, don't shrink from the trials. Stay humble. Don't shrink from the trials. Stay humble. So Paul starts his speech with this. He says, you know how I lived among you. So he's talking to the Ephesian elders. He spent two to three years in Ephesus planting that church. So he was there for a while. So he's saying, guys, you know me. Like, I was with you for years. You saw me. You know my character. He says, I served with humility. Because you see, when Paul left Ephesus, underneath this, you know, um, this pressure from the city, officials to get out and stop preaching Jesus, so he leaves to leave the church you know to have some peace he started being accused of being kind of this shyster kind of guy right like he just came in for his own fame for his own money he was just here to to make himself and now that you know things are going bad he's leaving and they start they started spreading all these rumors about paul he says guys you know me i served with you for years in humility i didn't make it about me it was never about me it was always about the lord it was always about the church you saw this you know this He says, I served you with humility despite the trials. Despite trials specifically through the plots of the Jews. If you've ever read Acts or studied Acts with us, or if you've read any of Paul's letters, you know that Paul knew about trials. right? Like, If anything, if any Christian in the history of the church knows, Paul knows about trials. And right here, when he's using the word trials in this passage, he's talking about opposition from the world. He's talking about when the world pushes against us specifically because of our faith. Paul knew what it was like to have false claims made against him, to have accusations, to have slander and gossip and threats because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul knew what it was like to suffer unfairly, to have unjust treatment done to him. He knew what it meant to be miserable for the sake of the Lord. Paul says, remember, I served you with humility. Even through the trials, I did not shrink. I didn't back down. I stood for the gospel. Now, sometimes we might read that, I did not shrink, and think about, okay, well, Paul, what did you not shrink from? What does that mean? But we can get this wrong if we're not careful. Is he saying that he did not back down from the opposition? In other words, when they attacked me, I fought back, man. I put them in their place. I told them what was up. No. That's not the kind of shrinking back that Paul is talking about. He's not saying, I didn't shrink back from the trials. You know, when the trials come, I stood up, and I had pride in myself, and I stood my ground, and I took it on the chin like a man. That's not what he's saying. That's not the kind of shrinking back he's talking about. He says, I did not shrink from declaring and teaching Repentance and faith. He says, I served you in humility and I kept teaching and preaching the gospel. This isn't some macho, man up, you know, stand against everybody and make myself known and win the argument. That's not the kind of backing down or fighting that Paul's talking about here. He's talking about actually laying it all down for the sake of the gospel. He's, about, he's talking about, I'm willing to suffer if that means I don't have to stop or shrink back from preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. This gospel that he was so adamant to preach and to keep preaching, is the same gospel that we have today. It's the same one that we need today, that we need to hear today over and over again. Because just like these people, we ourselves are lost in sin. As humans we are born with sinful hearts we we pursue sin we have sinful choices and actions we rebel against the holiness of God against his demands on our life and because of that we get separated from him and we we can't fix that problem we don't have a way to get ourselves back into God's good favor what we deserve is his wrath and punishment in hell God loves us too much to leave us there. And so he sent his son Jesus to come and to be born as a human, to live a perfect and sinless life, and then to go to the cross and die for our sins. We just sang about it earlier. Lamb of God in my place, right? He took my spot on the cross. He took the wrath and the death and the punishment that I deserved, and he paid for it with his life. And he went to the grave, and three days later, he rose back to life to show us that he was God and to offer exactly what Paul's talking about. Notice he says, I declared and teach repentance and faith. That's the gospel. Jesus says, believe in me, repent of your sins, turn from your sins, and put your faith in me. And you will be saved. And you'll have a relationship with God again, and you'll be guaranteed an eternity with him. This is the gospel that Paul preached over and over. When opposition came, what did Paul do? Preach the gospel. When false claims were made against him, what did he do? He kept preaching the gospel. When unfair suffering was put upon him, he preached the gospel. He says, I did it in public right? I wasn't scared to do it in public. He says, but I also did it house to house with you. I wasn't trying to just make a statement and make a scene. I'll preach the gospel anybody, anywhere that somebody's willing to listen. In public, house to house, he said, I did it with Jews. You mean the ones who were attacking you? Yes, with them, because they needed Jesus more than their religion. He says I did it with the Greeks too. They were against me, but I gave it to them because G- they needed Jesus more than their empty philosophies, both sides, both groups, everywhere I went preaching the gospel, even despite the trials, Paul never shrank from the gospel. and He's, he's using this example to encourage them and to encourage us to do the same thing. A few months back, I was um, when I was putting the girls to bed and I was talking with our middle daughter, Karis, And if you know Karis at all, she is our truth teller. Like she just, she'll tell you exactly what she's thinking, exactly what she's feeling, like no holds bars. And so we're sitting there on her bed and we're talking and she says, Daddy, um," she says, sometimes I don't really like being a pastor's kid. And to this pastor dad's heart, that was immediately like, okay, a little offended, but also like a little concerned, like, okay, why, why is that? And so I said, okay, Bear, you know, why is that? And I was kind of expecting, you know, some kid reason like, you know, well, we have to get up early every Sunday and go to church or you're always gone to meetings or, you know, all that, something like that. But her, her complaint, her issue was actually much more substantial than that. She said, because the kids at school treat me different because they don't want to play with me. They, they, they leave me out and they exclude me and they, they don't want me to be part of their stuff because I'm different than they are. And having been a pastor's kid... I don't think that all of her playmate problems are strictly tied to my profession. <laughs> kids are kids, right? But, but I understand what she's talking about because I remember as a pastor's kid growing up how you would get ostracized. You would get pushed out sometimes because they thought you would tell a teacher or you were a goody two-shoes or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so you didn't get included sometimes on stuff. And I, I know what she's talking about of feeling that, that, that oppression because of the faith of her family. I think this kind of thing is probably the closest we can get to really understanding what Paul is talking about when he talks about trials. Because Let's just be honest, here in America as Christians, we don't have that much persecution. We're not getting stoned for our faith, we're not getting thrown in jail, we're not getting you know, run out of town like Paul did numerous times. But there are times where we feel opposition. There are times where someone will speak a word against us or accuse us of something or will exclude us from something at work or, or press in because we're different and we don't think the way they think and we don't do the things they do and so they don't think that they can trust us and they push us away and they don't, they don't like our faith. They don't like who we are. And this is real. And I think in our flesh sometimes, at least for me, it's easy when that comes, when that opposition comes against us, to want to fight back, to want to argue and retaliate and, and push back and demand our rights and, well, listen here, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da, whatever the thing is. Or it's easy to go the other direction and say, fine, you don't want to talk to me? You don't want to be around me? Then fine, forget you. I'll go over here. I don't need you. You're just trouble. You're just, if you don't want to hear, then forget it. And we just write them off. But neither one of those reactions is what Jesus or Paul tells us to do. They actually say the exact opposite. Remember what Jesus said in the gospel? He said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Man, that's hard. <laughs> can, we, can we just be real today? Like, that is hard. And Paul's saying the same thing right here. He's saying, Listen, I served you humbly, even despite the trials. I kept preaching the gospel. I kept giving you the love of Jesus, no matter what you did or what you said. This is what we're called to, Christians. Don't shrink from the trials, stay humble. Follow Paul, follow Jesus. Live out the gospel that we claim to believe. And that's the gospel of a God who was humble enough to come and to die for us so that we could be saved. He didn't come with a sword and and a horse. One day he's going to. But the first time around, he didn't come with a sword and a horse and slay us in our sin. He came and humbly served us and showed us love so that we could come to him. So the first thing, don't shrink from the trial. Stay humble. Stay humble. Second thing we see, look at verse 22. It says, now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So, first of all, don't shrink from the trials. Number two, don't shrink from the dangers. Don't shrink from the dangers, stay the course very interesting in this section of Acts how Paul's talking. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem because I'm constrained by the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit has told me, go, so I'm going, (laughs) right? Like, that's a good play, by the way. Anytime God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, do it, right? So Paul's like, the Holy Spirit's told me very clearly, go to Jerusalem, so I'm going to Jerusalem. We don't know exactly why, Was it to deliver the offering from these other churches? Possibly. Was it some other reason? Yeah, maybe. Maybe it was a combination of things. He says, but I'm going because the Holy Spirit told me to, not knowing what will happen. Paul knew that it was a risk for him to go back to Jerusalem. He knew that this was actually going to be probably a very dangerous trip for him to take. But he was still going because the Holy Spirit said, go just because it was dangerous, it didn't change the mission. Now, to be fair, he did do it wisely. So back in verse 3 that I read earlier, it says that Paul actually changed his travel plans. Originally, he was going to get on a ship and just sail straight to Syria, right? Straight to Jerusalem. But he found out about a plot of the Jews. Probably they were going to try to kill him on the boat, because once you're on a boat, there's Not really anywhere to go, so it's a great place to jump somebody. And so they're probably going to kill Paul, throw him overboard, whatever. So he finds out about it, and so he changes his travel plans, and he decides to go by land first and get on a ship later. So he used wisdom, but the destination didn't change. The mission didn't change. He was still going to Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit said so. So there's wisdom, but there's also perseverance, despite the danger. God often requires this of us. God often requires us to walk by faith, not just by sight, and to trust him, to walk in risky, dangerous situations sometimes. And it's hard for us because we want to ask all the questions, don't we? But God, what about this? What about that? What if this happens? What if that happens? I'm scared. I don't know if I can do this. And he says, no, 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 Just, just trust me. Just just do what I'm asking you to do. Just walk with me in this. Paul says, the Holy Spirit told me to go. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know this. He says, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that prison and afflictions await me. So interestingly enough, earlier in the book of Acts, there's been a couple times where the Holy Spirit has warned Paul, basically saying, listen, there's some bad stuff coming. You're going to be in prison. You're going to be afflicted. There's going to be some bad stuff. And some people see that, as the Holy Spirit trying to warn Paul not to go, right, like saying, hey, there's bad stuff, so don't go, but that's not what's happening. This isn't a prohibition from the Holy Spirit. This is a prophecy from the Holy Spirit. He's saying, no, you're going, (laughs) but just so you know, on the way, it's going to be hard. It's going to be dangerous. It's going to be risky, but you still got to go. When, where, how, what, the afflictions, the, like, what's that look like? I don't know. Paul says, I don't know. But I know it's coming. And I know I'm still going because the Holy Spirit said go. And this is why. This is so key to Paul's mindset here. Look at what he says. He says, because I do not account my life of any value to myself. That's the reason Paul could go. That's the reason Paul could step into the dangerous situation because he knew his life no longer belonged to him. His life belonged to Jesus. So if Jesus wants to take it, he can take it. If Jesus wants to risk it, he can risk it. If he wants to put me in prison, if, he wants to, if it means affliction, so be it because my life belongs to Christ. And so I'm going. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? Take up your cross and follow me. Now, for us today as Christians, the cross is like this beautiful image of Christian faith, and we run to the cross, we sing songs about the cross, we write books about the cross, and we love it. But when Jesus said this to his disciples, it didn't have any of that. Back then, all they knew about the cross was it was pain and agony and torture and death. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, he's saying, listen, if you want to follow me, there's going to be pain and agony and suffering and maybe even death. But you've got to follow me anyways. So Paul says, I don't count my life of any value to myself if only I may finish my course. No matter the cost, no matter the suffering, no matter what it takes, Paul says, I just want to finish faithfully I just want to finish the mission for Jesus and he caps it off and he tells them, and none of you will see my face again and that's not like Paul's like saying like yeah, you're dead to me that's not that's not what's happening here Paul's saying listen my time is done here I've taught you all I can teach you I've pointed you to Jesus I've given you the faith now I have to keep moving forward for the mission a lot of times when we're following Christ, that happens. Sometimes we have to l- drop some relationships. Sometimes we have to lose some people, not in a bad way, but just because God's calling us to the next thing. And God's going to sustain them, and God's going to take care of them, and Paul knew that. So he keeps walking, and he keeps moving to be faithful to the mission that God has given him to do. With all the craziness of what has been 2020 <laughs> this year, um, I was thinking the other day, and it just doesn't really quite seem like summer because the Cardinals are not playing baseball. Like, there's just something about, I'm sh- pretty sure, in the scientific definition of summer, that it does not officially start until the Cardinals play baseball. Like, there's just something in that for us here in St. Louis that they're tied together. I, thankfully, I think I read this past week that they're going to actually be getting something going this next month and finally starting to play ball again, hopefully, um, but not with us in the stadium, just them, um, and so, you know, we'll get to watch on TV, which isn't quite the same, but it's something, I guess, um, but around our house, we love Cardinal Baseball. We love, specifically, that one of the favorites in our house is Molina, and uh, when I think about Molina, I always think about plays at the plate. You know what I'm talking about? Like, how many times have we seen this, right, where he, he, the, the runner's coming, the ball's coming, and he, and he is just set up in the baseline, man. He is just ready for it, and he's like, listen, I know you're running home, I know that's your goal, and you might get there, but you're going to suffer on the way, Like, you're going to have to pay for it before you get to the plate. But what's interesting is every time this happens, the runner doesn't stop, does he? He just keeps running, because he has a mission, he has a goal, he has to get to home, even if it's going to hurt even if there's going to be suffering, even if it's going to be painful along the way, he's got to get home. And the same thing is true for us. We have a mission. We have a goal. We have something that God has pointed us to towards the kingdom of God and sharing the gospel and running towards Jesus. And we can't stop just because there's some danger between us and the plate. We have to keep going. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's what Paul did. That's what he's calling us to. His trip to Jerusalem was running through danger to get to the home plate. And he's calling us to do the same. Don't shrink from the danger. Stay the course. Friends, let me just be honest with you today. Here in America, I think we have been way too long in the wrong mindset. We need to dispense with the idea that following Jesus is safe. I know it feels that way sometimes for us, but it was never meant to be that. Following Jesus has never been about staying safe. It's always been about sacrificing to fulfill the mission of God for the kingdom and for his glory. And sometimes that means we have to walk and go through dangerous things in dangerous places. But it's worth it. So he says, don't shrink from the trials. Stay humble. Don't shrink from the dangers. Stay the course. One more. Look at verse 28. It says, pay careful attention. This is kind of the the next part of his, his speech here to the elders. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. The third thing he says here is don't shrink from the attacks. Stay alert. Don't shrink from the attacks. Stay alert. Interestingly here in the verse 28, he says, um, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So let me just give a clear context here. He is talking specifically here to the Ephesian church elders, or overseers as he calls them here. He's talking specifically to church leadership, okay? So we don't want to miss that. But at the same point, what he's saying to the church leaders actually also applies to all of us. And the reason I know that is he tells them to pay careful attention. In other words, be on guard or stay alert, he's going to say later. And he gave that same command, not just to church leaders, but to the whole church in some of his letters. So in 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen he says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, he says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober, or be alert. So this is actually a calling that all of us have as Christians to stand for the faith, to defend the gospel, to stay alert against those who would try to attack and tear down uh, the gospel or the church. But he speaks specifically here to the leaders, and he, first he says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Anytime there's a problem, anytime there's an issue, the first place that we should always look is right here ourselves. Because let's just be honest, we all know our hearts can get sideways and twisted, and even if we're following Jesus, we can get messed up sometimes. So he says, first thing you need to do is pay attention to yourselves. Specifically, church leaders have to pay attention to themselves, because if the church leaders aren't strong in the faith and aren't strong in the Lord, guess what? The church cannot be strong in the faith and strong in the Lord. So he says, pay careful attention to yourselves, And then also, he says, to all the flock, to the whole church, to all those that you are in faith with. He says, pay careful attention to care for the church of God. I love that he adds that. He doesn't just say care for the church. Care for the church of God. Because this is God's church. This isn't Paul's church. This isn't Micah's church. This isn't anybody else. This is God's church. And he emphasizes it, with his. he says, that he obtained with his own blood. What an exclamation point on that. That in the person of Jesus Christ, that God himself came to earth and shed his blood to build and to sustain and to create the church. God did that. It's his church. And we're just caring for it. That's a really big deal, which brings a big responsibility. We as church leaders, we as church members, we don't run, we don't give up, we don't give in, we stay alert against the attacks. And he specifically talks about two types of attacks here that I want us to look at. Number one, he says the attacks of fierce wolves will come in. He's talking about attacks from the outside, those who aren't in the church, those who aren't Christians, that there will be some who try to come in and try to attack the church from the outside. That's a real thing. Even today, that is a real thing. He says, but that's not the only one. There's also attacks, he says, from among yourselves. But sometimes there will be some from within the church that will rise up and try to lead others astray. And he says, teach them twisted things. And so he points out both of these, and i want to just take a second here and just kind of camp in this metaphor. Paul's using this picture of a shepherd and sheep and wolves, and, and for the people in the first century that he was talking to, this would have been a very vivid image, because they saw shepherds all the time. There were shepherds all around them, they knew about shepherds and sheep, and they knew all about all that, they would have got every, every bit of this. For us, not so much. <laughs> When's the last time you saw a shepherd in St. Louis? Anybody, got you know, any shepherds around? Like, we don't see this anymore. We don't have sheep running around. We don't, and so we need to understand the nuances of this to really get what Paul's saying to us. First of all, he tells them that their job is to care for the flock. That was always the job of the shepherd, care for the flock. Primarily in leading the sheep and in feeding the sheep, right? Making sure they had what they needed to grow and survive and, and, and get down the road to, you know, Shearing their wool or eating them or whatever they were going to do with them. But like they had to care for them and get them fed and lead them to that destination. But they also had to protect the sheep. First of all, he says, protect them from the wolves. The wolves were by far the chief enemy of sheep in the Middle East during this time. And they would hunt them in packs. They would hunt them singly. They would do whatever they could do to get to the sheep because the sheep were easy prey. If you know anything about sheep, sheep are Utterly defenseless. They literally have no way to defend themselves at all. And so the shepherds had to do it. The shepherds had to be vigilant to protect the sheep day and night all the time because they could not protect themselves. He says, but not just protect them from wolves, he says, you also need to protect them from themselves. We tend to think, I think, and when we see sheep a lot, especially in our urban suburban context, if you don't have a lot of interactions outside of that, we see sheep on the TV or we see them in the movies or we see pictures, and we think of these, you know, these white, cuddly, cute little animals that are, you know, are pure and clean. And no, <laughs> like real sheep are not like that. They're gross and dirty, and they have all kinds of bugs and stuff in their wool and and in their ears and nose and not. It's just they're not clean animals. They're, they're kind of gross, actually. And so, in order to protect them from their own worms and ticks and lice and all that kind of stuff, the shepherds would pour oil and other things on the sheep that would kind of coat them and keep them protected from themselves, basically. And that's the imagery that Paul's using here. That the shepherds had to protect them in two ways yes, from the outside wolves, but also from the inside from themselves. And both are real and present threats to the sheep. And both are real and present threats to the church. We must be alert and defend against both equally. I think for us, just really practically, if I can just be real practical application for the church in 2020 today, I see this kind of play out in a couple different ways. Number one, I think some Christians... Only want to look or get so obsessed with looking at attacks from the outside that they neglect the inside. we get so focused on liberalism and anti-Christian agendas and groups who would oppose the church and let me just be honest man that's a real thing that's a true real deal that we have to deal with today. but if we only focus on the outside, then we miss in the meantime we miss the internal dangers of of our own traditions and our own bias and our own tunnel vision and us getting stuck in our own human hearts and allowing that to hurt the church from the inside as well. On the other hand, you have some Christians who get so focused on the inside threats of heresy and false teaching and those who would twist things and try to lead the church astray, and they're all focused so much on the internal, which again is a real thing and needs to be checked We have to be on guard against false teaching in the church, for sure. But if we're only looking at the inside in the meantime, we can miss the outside influences and the outside voices that come in and start speaking to us louder than God's word does. And So Paul's saying, it's not one or the other, it's both. If we want to be following Christ, we have to stay alert against both both fronts against gospel fidelity. And so, I think for us today, just some, again, some really practical applications. We can't be so scared of social justice that we miss opportunities to stand for true gospel justice in the church. And we can't be so uh, set on burning down the, the broken system that we destroy the foundation that God has given to sustain his church either. It's a both and. We don't pick a man-made side. Paul says, be alert. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the gospel. Stand on God's side and let everything else fall where it may. And let's stay alert and defend the gospel against attacks from the outside and from the inside so that we can be faithful to the Lord. Don't shrink from the attacks. Stay alert, Paul says. So three things he said. Don't shrink from the trials. Don't shrink from the dangers. Don't shrink from the attacks. But then he gives us one more word at the end of his speech that we have to have if this is going to work. Look at verse 32. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul says you can't shrink against any of these things because, point number four, because God's grace will build you up. God's grace will build you up. If we try to stand on any of these in our own power, in our own strength, in our own way, we will fail miserably. We have to have the grace of God, the word of God. He says, I commend you to God. He is your source. Not Paul, not Micah, not somebody else. Men can never be your source because men will always fail you. We are imperfect people. But God never fails. God never fails his people. He never fails his church. So Paul says, I've given you all I can give you. I'm moving on, but I'm handing you over to God. He is the greatest source you can have. Find your strength in him and in the word of his grace or the gospel of his grace. He says, His word, that's what you need to build you up, to sustain you, to mature you, to strengthen you, to make you able to stand against all these things. And both, best of all, he says, it will give you an inheritance. And then he talks about, like, I was with you and I didn't take silver or gold. And it seems like he's off topic, but he's really not. He's saying, listen, there's a greater inheritance in Jesus. You don't need silver. You don't need gold. All the other stuff that you think is so important, this is where it's at. Stand in the grace of God and let your inheritance be Jesus himself for all eternity. And it says that they were weeping because they would not see his face again. Following Jesus takes sacrifice. And sometimes we have to to let things go. Sometimes we have to to move in a new direction. Sometimes we have to leave people behind, all for the good of the gospel. And when that happens, it doesn't just affect us, it affects everyone around us. And, And the sacrifice is widespread but it's always worth it. It's always worth it because God uses it for his glory and for the good of his kingdom. So Paul here is admonishing us, Christian. He's telling us in the face of persecution, don't shrink from the gospel, but step further into the gospel. In all those areas, don't shrink back. Our job, church, is to keep standing for the gospel no matter what that's the axe life that's what we're going to do let's pray for God to help us as we do that together as a church Heavenly Father we come before you now we thank you God for again just this time to gather Lord it's just so sweet to be together again when I say it every week I say it over and over again but it's just so so good and we love you Lord we praise you we thank you Lord for all the blessings that you have bestowed upon us Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for calling us to follow you and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the entire world. Now, Lord, by your power, by your spirit, come and empower us not to shrink back, but to step in, to stay the course, to finish the mission. Lord, make us a people, make us a church that never shrinks back from the gospel. Lord, help us to always follow you regardless of the cost because you are always with us. Thank you, Father. We pray all of this in Christ's name.